Bible, and I hope that you do. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts the 13th chapter this morning. Um, Acts chapter 13. And we'll read verses 1 through 12 uh, this morning because that's um, where we, um, that covers the entire um, uh, encounter that's going to happen here. So in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, we'll go through verse 12. So Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through verse 12. Acts chapter 13, we'll start in verse 1 and go through verse 12, okay? So when you have found that place, if you're physically able to do so, I'm going to invite you one more time to stand with me as we honor the ring of God's holy and written word. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord to us this morning. Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, um, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached God in the synagogues of the Jews, and had also John to their... And which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul, who, and desired to hear the word of God. But um, Elemas the sorcerer, or Elemas the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. And he said, O full of all subtility and all mischief, you child of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you never cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness. And he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we ask now that you would help us, aid us in our, in our, uh, in our time in the word. May you help us now to give ourselves to the teaching and the word of the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God. May we humble ourselves before you now. We pray in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you and be seated. A friend once told Chuck Colson, and he ended up inscribing it onto a Bible that he gave Chuck Colson before he was, in fact, converted to, to faith. Um, it simply read this. He simply said this, and it read this. It is better to fail at a cause which will ultimately succeed than to succeed in a cause that will ultimately fail. I'll say that again. It is better to fail in a cause that will ultimately succeed than to succeed in a cause that will ultimately fail. And then you say, well, how does that apply to what we just read? Well, let me tell you how this applies to what we just read. We as Christians live in the reality of the victory of Christ every single day. And though it may seem that the world is encroaching ever more, that the world system seems to be jettisoning and is jettisoning the, the truth of God's word ever more, in the end we know and we realize that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is and will be victorious. And so we live in the victory of God. We live in the victory of Christ in this world. We live in Christ's past victory. We live in Christ's present victory. And we live in Christ's future victory. We live in all the elements of the victory of Christ. 
We, we, that is you and I, as believers in Christ, we live in the power and the victory of God. And this morning what I want to do is I want to show us some several truths, three to be exact, from our text, in which I, I want to proclaim to us and remind us of the victory of God in which we stand. And this is important because as we've been talking about and thinking about and, and discussing missions and the importance of missions and the importance of missionary work around the globe, we need to understand and know uh, and be encouraged in the victory of God, uh, particularly as we see, as I said, the world system that seems to keep growing darker and darker and darker. So let me pull you into the first truth that is found here in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 12. It is simply this. There are two spiritual kingdoms at war in this world. There are two spiritual kingdoms at war in this world. I don't think I need to tell you this, but I will define them for you just in case you, you don't know or in case you have forgotten. The first is the kingdom of darkness. It is the kingdom of Satan. It is the kingdom by which Satan is doing his work, uh, granted by the no, uh, no more and no less than God's permission and no more and God, no less than God's sovereign plan and rule has established. But nonetheless, the kingdom of darkness is at work in this world. And you say, well, pastor, how do we see this being lived out? Well, let me say to you that as we'll see in 1 Samuel here in the coming weeks, we see this in several ways. In 1 Samuel chapter 28, for instance, we see, we see Saul approaching and, and addressing and asking a necromancer, that is one who addresses the dead and one who is a, familiar with the spirits, who's seeking out the, 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 the spiritual forces uh, on the other pla- in the other plane. Um, and she ultimately makes inquiry, but God thwarts um, the demonic plan and ends up sending Samuel back and we'll talk more about that and so we see that through things like witchcraft and necromancy through other things like that uh, but we also see things simply like what is in our text this morning now we do see that this man bar Jesus right or Elymas as he's also called in the text we see that he is a, he, he, he is trying to simply do what trying to do magic tricks no Trying to, uh, uh, trying to pull off like the magicians of Pharaoh's uh, courtyard? Is he trying to, trying to uh, um, uh, redo or, or show that he can also do the miracles that uh, Paul and Silas are doing as Moses and Aaron, as the magicians who opposed Moses and Aaron did? No. What does he do? Well, it's very simple. Even though he's called a sorcerer, it's very simple what he's doing here. What does it say? Paul even says what he says. He says that he is what? In verse 10, perverting the right ways of the Lord. It says, perverting the right ways of the Lord. So when we talk of the kingdom of darkness, you know, I know Hollywood loves to think, you know, they love to talk about and look at things like, you know, the, the exorcist and all these crazy kooky things. But in, in reality, um, the kingdom of darkness is at work through the simple perversion and, and the seeking to pervert the right ways of the Lord. Yes, there are other things that are going on, but, but in reality, the kingdom of darkness is at work first and foremost through simply trying to pervert the right ways of the Lord. And that's, it's that simple. And the second kingdom is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is very clear. Paul and Silas come, or Paul and Barnabas, excuse me, come, and they are, um, they are preaching the, the gospel to areas that never been reached before they're preaching the gospel to in areas like missionaries they are they are going to places and proclaiming the the victory of God the kingdom of God has come and the kingdom of God is at hand and Christ has come into the world you see the cross acted like a beachhead 
Why was it that the Germans so, so opposed uh, the storming of Normandy and Omaha Beach and all these other beaches on D-Day? Why? Because they knew and understood rightly that if the Allies could in fact grab a beach, a, 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 a beachhead and establish a forward front there, they would be unstoppable. And the reality is, is that in a much better and greater way, the cross has established a beachhead upon which the mission of God has continued through the world to be proclaimed. It has continued to move forward. It has continued to be victorious. God's victory is, is unstoppable. God's victory is not. It, it, it may suffer some what seems to be some setbacks here and there. We ultimately know they're not setbacks, but it may appear to us to be setbacks. But the reality is, upon Jesus' death on the cross, there was secured for mankind a beach, or for, for God's glory, a beachhead in order to save sinners out of all mankind. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is at work in the world through the gospel, through the preaching of the gospel. And the church is, is called, the church is called to be a part of the spiritual force. You know, I know a lot of times we think of spiritual forces like things like angels and demons and things like that. And, and they are. They, I don't mean to, to downplay those realities. They, they very much are. But when we speak of a spiritual force, we also need to understand that the preaching of the gospel the preaching of the gospel is what we've been called to, and it is no less, it no less shakes the gates of hell. It no less shakes the gates of hell. When the gospel is preached and sinners are saved, when the gospel is proclaimed and, 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 and God sovereignly draws sinners to himself and sinners repent and believe the gospel, God is shaking the very foundations of hell itself. Christ is glorious. Christ is, is, is honoring. And, and how, how do we see this being lived out in the text? Because I don't want to just make a claim here. I want to show you from the text how this is this reality. And I would say to you, first and foremost, it is because the church is doing what? In verses 1 through 3, what were they doing? They were doing things like worshiping and fasting and they were they were they were being ministered to or they were ministering to the Lord and they were fasting and the Holy Spirit spoke to them right in the midst of them doing and being faithful in just the everyday little things that God has called them to do it's interesting here and I just simply want to point out to you that it is interesting that uh, that this man uh, Simeon or uh, Simon right uh, who is who is called Niger? Um, this gentleman was a was a was a was a black man, uh, and this was a very diverse group. These were people who were who were who were from all different backgrounds. They were from all different raisings and upbringings. I mean, you had one Manan who was raised in uh, with Herod the Tetrarch. You had others who were who were from all over the place. Uh, men who we really know nothing about. They're really obscure. And so we have these God, the Holy Spirit, through salvation, bringing together this diverse group of men uh, of God who were being faithful to preach and proclaim the gospel, to lead the local church there in Antioch, to honor Christ. And, but ultimately, what were they doing, right? I can say all that, but, but ultimately, how can we summarize all this? Here is what the church at Antioch was doing. Very simple, very straightforward. They were living under the authority of and in submission to Jesus Christ. That's what they were doing. They were living under the authority and, and uh, they were living under Christ's authority and they were living in submission to Jesus Christ, to the word of God. And that's what they were doing. And church, let me say this. This is what we're called to do. 
You and I, we're called to live under the authority of Christ. We're called to live under the, 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 the awesome authority and in submission to Christ. And this, is, this is how God works. When, a, when a, just a church, just a, just a normal, everyday, average church, just like us, decides to live under the authority of God and in submission to God and in submission to the Word of God, God, God works in that church. God moves in the midst of that church. God is, God is pleased to honor his name through the work that he will do through us and through all local churches who, in fact, live this way. But notice there's a, there's a second thing that they're doing. Now, I know that we Baptists are often accused of neglecting the Holy Spirit, and maybe we have. But I want to say to you that the early church, by and large, did not neglect the work of the Spirit of God. As a matter of fact, the work of God was very, very evident in their midst. And I want to say to us that the Holy Spirit is no less at work in, in us as, as local believers. Um, we, we may believe that certain gifts have ceased with the time and the end of the New Testament, uh, with, the, with the ending of the New Testament. But we should no less believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, drawing sinners, doing great and mighty things to draw sinners to Christ showing forth in the preaching of the gospel the mighty works of God. We should no less believe that. And ultimately, this is what was happening in the early church here in Acts chapter 13 in the, book of, or in the church of Antioch. They loved Christ. They were submitted to Christ. They were surrendered to the word of God. They were being empowered by the Holy Spirit. But do you notice something else that was going on here in verse 5? Notice, notice what was going on here. And it says, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God. That is the gospel in the synagogues of the Jews. And they, and, and they had also John, John Mark, to be their minister, to be their helper. Here's a church that had imparted to their missionaries one thing. Ready? Ready for this? They were gripped by the greatness of the gospel. And so they went out and they preached Jesus everywhere. I mean... It's amazing that we see in the book of Acts when the Spirit of God comes on the day of Pentecost and they're, they're speaking in the tongues of men, right? And they're speaking with all kinds of different tongues and they're preaching the gospel in those, in those tongues. What's happening? What's happening? Well, what's happening is the gospel is being proclaimed, right? And what's happening here? Well, as they're going, they're not obviously here speaking in tongues, but they are going nonetheless. And what are they doing? They're preaching Jesus. You see, the, the church of Jesus Christ in the early days never got over the gospel. And I want to submit to you that you and I should never grow, outgrow or get over the gospel. We should never outgrow or get over the gospel. We should, be, we should be above all the most captivated by the gospel because we can sing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Right? We can sing of God's greatness and God's goodness. We should of all men be gripped by the greatness of the gospel, gripped by the greatness of Christ, gripped by the greatness of God, gripped by what God has done for his glory and for our good. It's interesting that um, the world itself even catches a glimpse of this reality from time to time, doesn't it? About the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Think about all the movies. Think about all the, all the, all the reality of the movies that are made. Um, think, about, think about how it never goes well, generally speaking, if, uh, if evil overcomes good. 
The world itself has this, this glimpse of, of, of the, the need for light and goodness and, and, and that to, to win and to, come, to overcome darkness. They understand this truth. They may not understand it in the way in which we understand it, given the light of, of the, the, the knowledge of the Word of God and the Spirit of God that's been given to us. But on, on some level, the world gets that there is good and there is evil and it is always better when good triumphs over evil. I mean, think about it. I mean, we could name things like Star Wars, Harry Potter, the Avengers. You know, we could go on and on and on into, into, into these um, multiple movies and books and novels and all sorts of things that, that just, just the world knows that there are, there are forces of good and forces of evil that are constantly doing battle. But I want to say this to you. Unlike the world's view of things, these two kingdoms are not equal. They're not. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, are not, they're not equal. There, there's this genuine, genuine, general excuse me, notion that, well, you know, it's sort of like uh, you know, they're both fighting and hopefully good will overcome evil. No, 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 no. You see, God is at work because God is sovereign and he is awesome and he is great. And Satan and his forces may seek to try to usurp the forces of, of goodness and righteousness, um, as we see here in our text in Acts chapter 13, right? When, when Paul rebukes Bar-Jesus or Elymas, uh, the, 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 um, the sorcerer, when he rebukes him and he calls him a son of the devil, right? And he calls him a son of unrighteousness, right? We, we see this being played out before our eyes. But here's the reality, right? In the ministry of Jesus... Right? Whenever Jesus went, wherever Jesus went, what met him? It was always amazing. The forces of darkness always met Christ. The forces of evil always met Christ. Did he not? Did they not? The demons always cried out, you know, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth, right? Constantly. And yet, what did Jesus say to them, right? He constantly, wherever he went, it was come out of them. And Jesus was constantly, constantly working and moving to, to advance the kingdom. And what did Jesus say to his disciples? That the gates of hell shall not prevail. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never seen a gate be on the offensive, right? The gates of hell are always defensive. And God has called us to go into the world and proclaim Christ, to proclaim the victory of God and proclaim the peace terms of God based upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ because of his work on the cross, you and I are called to live with boldness as opposed to fear because of Jesus and His victory. You and I are called to, to, to live in the triumph over our sin, the triumph over our difficulties, the triumph over our hardships, the triumph over our trials because of Christ. A lot of times, my brothers and sisters, what ends up happening is that we, we, get, we let God become small and our problems become big. We let our problems become small, or God becomes small and our problems become big, right? When in reality, what we need is we need to see and understand rightly and speak to the problems that we face that no, 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 no. My problems may seem big, but my God is bigger. My God is greater than the greatest problems that I face because Christ in the end of time, at the end of days, has overcome. He has, he has overcome sin. He has overcome the world. And he tells me that we live in this victory. We live in the victory of Christ. And interesting enough, in Colossians 2, 13-15, listen to what Paul says here. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... 
God has made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. And this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We need to go and preach the gospel because nothing and no one can stop the advancement of the gospel. We need to preach with vigor and vitality. We need to proclaim in boldness the gospel of Christ because nothing and no one overcomes the victory of God. Here's a second reality, though. Not only do we, not only are there two spiritual forces in the world, but there are tactical strategies that our enemy employs. Um, there are tactical strategies that our enemy employs. I know that oftentimes the, de- the, the devil is presented as some kind of dummy, right? He's a dumb dumb. Um, but in reality, um, while he is certainly dumb in comparison to our God, he is certainly no dummy when it comes to us. He certainly knows our every weakness. He doesn't know our thoughts, but he certainly knows our every weakness. He certainly knows what has always always uh, worked on us in the past. Or even if he doesn't know us that well, uh, he certainly knows what has worked in the past uh, to weak men and he therefore and weak women, and therefore he always seeks to try to use that against us or against one another. And so oftentimes what ends up happening is, like here in the text, we have him using counterfeit spiritual advisors, right? In verse 6 and 7, that's what it says here, verse 6. And when they had gone through the Isle of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, right? The, 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 he was the overseer of that, 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 that particular region, and his name was Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, that's a wise man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. Now notice, notice, what, notice what happens here, right? So we automatically have this man who is all, already coming underneath the, the sway of, the sway of, uh, of this, uh, this sorcerer, this false prophet, this man who was a Jew named Bar-Jesus. Um, and he's constantly being given this, uh, this, this advice, this advice, whatever advice that would keep him from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, constantly helping, uh, constantly keeping him from hearing the gospel. And oftentimes that's, what, that's, what the, that's one of the tactical strategies of the enemy is that he will provide counterfeit spiritual advisors, men uh, who, who may sound like, sound good, but in truth when you examine the, the message um, they're, they're, uh, so you've got all kinds of new age teaching. You've got all kinds of, of things in there that they're just not true. Um, they're not. They're not. They're not. They're not right. And in the end, what, what does it say here that Elymas the prophet or the, the false prophet was trying to do? It's in verse eight. But Elymas the sorcerer, so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. He, he wanted to continue to allow the, or he wanted to continue to uh, uh, to turn the, the 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 minister or the deputy's um, attention away from the gospel. He wanted him to continue in spiritual blindness. But what happens? God, in His glory, breaks through and He works in a mighty way through the preaching of the gospel. Listen, the gospel. The gospel is powerful unto salvation. We can never forget that, right? Romans chapter 1, right? That it is powerful unto salvation. It is powerful. It is the power of God unto salvation. If we want to see sinners saved, right? Listen, if we want to see sinners saved, it is not going to come by getting them to come to church. 
Listen, if you want to invite people to come to church, praise God. Do that. Do that by all means. But understand, that's, that's not the win, right? Getting people to come into the church that, that, or to, the, to worship with us on Sunday mornings, right? That's, that's not the win. The win is letting them hear the gospel. The win is confronting them with the gospel. The win is for them to turn from their sin and to entrust Christ to be saved from their sin. Because understand that this world, just like Elymas or Bar-Jesus, right? The world hasn't changed. Oftentimes the world continues to use deceit and fraud and even open opposition to the gospel to seek to turn us away from the gospel, to seek to turn those who haven't repented and trusted in Christ away from the gospel. It often does still. And even to us who are Christians, listen, Christian. Listen very carefully. You must be careful because the world will seek to draw you away from walking with Christ. This is why things like being in the Word is so important and knowing the Word and applying the Word. This is why being in the local assembly, the local congregation is so important to to walk with brothers and sisters who can hold us accountable in the faith, who can protect us and help us, who 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 can say to us, hey, brother, hey, sister, You're going down a path, and you may not see the dangers, but I've already been there, and you don't want to go there. Trust me. And so we need to be careful because the world, in our even our own flesh, right? Oftentimes we don't even need Satan to oppose us. Oftentimes we just need our own flesh. Our own flesh deals with in deceit. Our own flesh, our own heart deals with fraud. It tries to defraud us, and even our own heart at times seeks to openly oppose us following Christ. Because why did this false prophet do this? Well, he did this ultimately because it was in great personal interest and he was greedy. I mean, after all, I mean, this guy had, had it made. He had the best quarters. He had the best food. I mean, the, these guys would travel around until, until they found an opportunity to be able to teach. Right? These were, these were itinerant teachers. And so they weren't like today. They would go in, find a find a church or a following on the Internet, um, you know, and blast their teaching out. They would travel around until someone of significance and someone of prominence would say, hey, I like what you're teaching. Why don't you come onto my payroll? I'll take care of you, right? Well, anything beats starving to death, right? And so this guy says, absolutely. So he has the best clothes, the best food, the best money. He has the best of everything. And he is not, because he is opposed to the gospel, he is not going to want to let that go. Can you see that, right? You and I, we can, I think we can see that. I mean, he is motivated by his own personal interest and his own greed to keep these men, or keep the, the, um, uh, the, um, the ruler, the governor here, Sergius Paulus, from the gospel. And so out of his own personal interest and his own greed, he seeks to, he seeks to, um, uh, to, to just destroy um, the, the, the gospel, he seeks to undermine the gospel. And I think it's interesting that as we think about this, um, I, I heard a story, and I think I've shared this with you maybe once before, but I do want to share it again. There was a story some years ago out of Canada, and, um, and, and there was, this was reported widely, widely um, in Canada back in, the, back in the early 2000s. Um, but one day there was a rabid wolf that came into a, a particular village, uh, and, um, and, and in, this, in this aboriginal settlement. And as you can imagine, you know, they always keep their dogs tied just far enough apart because so, they don't want to have to get back out and they don't have to untangle them. So they always keep the dogs just far enough apart from one another, right, so that they could not become tangled up. Well, in one night, this rabid wolf destroyed, he killed 
150 sled dogs in this village, all because of one sick wolf knowing that his perpetrators were far too far apart, just far enough apart from one another that he could overcome them because he had enough strength. He didn't have enough strength to take on 150 sled dogs on his own. He didn't even have enough strength to take on two or three sled dogs on his own. But the fact that the sled dogs were just far enough apart that they could not come to one another's aid, he was able in one night to pick off 150 sled dogs on his own. What's my point? It is the picture of every Christian who belongs to every single body. If we isolate, we will be overcome. Don't you dare think that you're strong enough in your own strength and in your own power to overcome the temptations of the devil and the world and the flesh. When we are separated just enough, just enough from the local body, Satan comes swooping in with his schemes and is quickly able to overcome us and overpower us unless we are clothed in the armor of Christ, in the armor of God. Lastly, let me show you this from our text. Spiritual battle requires corporate and personal preparation and engagement. It's found here in verses 9 and following. Spiritual battle requires corporate and personal preparation and engagement. Look what he says here in verse 9. Then Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtility, uh, that's, that's, that's deceit, and all mischief, you child of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to pervert, that's to corrupt the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind and not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand, Then the deputy, or the governor, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord, or the teaching about the Lord. What was it that that Paul and Barnabas were doing? Well, first, they were together. Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark were all together, right? And it says they were filled. Paul was what? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice the contrast that's drawn in the text. It says that Paul, being filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes upon him. And watch Watch, the, watch the, uh, the difference here. Paul says, and he spoke to, to this man, he says, you who are full of, not the Holy Ghost, you who are full of, of deceit, you who are full of mischief, you who are a child of the devil, you who are full of, of, of all uh, unright, uh, you who are full of all unri- unrighteousness, and, and you who are an enemy of God, full being full of, of, of corruption and sin. So you see, there's a, there's a contrast going on. Paul being full of the Spirit versus Bar Jesus being full of the devil, right? Being full of corruption and sin. He confronts being filled with the Spirit. He directly confronts the false prophet and the spiritual error going on, right? And quickly, let, let me say this. And I've said, I think I've said this probably multiple times, but I'll say it again. Um, one, we are never to be jerks, right? And I, I wish I could say to you that I have never been a jerk when defending my faith. Unfortunately, I have been. In my much younger, more zealous days, I know that there were multiple times when I know that I was just a giant jerk. So we should never be jerks when we're defending our faith. However, however, this whole idea that we're just called to love people, right? And that's all we're called to do. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, absolutely. We are called to love people. But, you know, there is such a thing as loving people into hell, right? You understand that. You can love people and love them right into hell. 
Loving people says one thing more, and that is that we are called not to put up with false teachers and false teaching. We are not. We're not called to put up with it. You're not, you and I are not called to put up with it. As a matter of fact, the church is quickly told, in Titus, for instance, Titus is told to silence them, literally to make them shut up, the false teachers that were troubling the church there in, in Titus, in Crete. And so we're not called to put up with false teaching. We're not called to put up with false teachers. We should not. We're not called to put up with people who, are, who, who, who don't teach Jesus is the Messiah, right? Jesus is the Christ. We're not called to put up with those heretics. But here's the second objection, uh, second objection, and that's, man, Paul sounds really mean, right? Like, Paul, dude, you're mean. You're being a big meanie head, right? He, I mean, he who could say what you said without being so mean here. I mean, because I don't think Paul won any, won any favors or won any uh, friends here. He wasn't, he wasn't making friends and influencing people by calling this guy uh, a son of, of deceit. Uh, or full of deceit and mischief, calling him a son of the devil. Uh, I don't think he, he was uh, an enemy of, of all righteousness and a perverter of the right ways of the Lord. I, I don't think that Bar-Jesus was sitting back saying, hey, you know what, I, whew, thanks, thanks for telling me the truth there, buddy. I don't see it. I don't think, I don't think Paul was, was winning, was making influence and, winning and, and making friends here. Paul, Paul does seem to be rough, but you know, brothers and sisters, I fear that in the, in the United States and in Canada and in these areas where we exist, we, we, have, we have bowed the knee, we have bowed the knee to our culture insofar as we have said niceness over truthness, over truth, niceness over truth. Now, certainly you can have both. Certainly you should have both when possible. But we cannot in any way, in any sort of the way, allow for the gospel to be corrupted for the gospel to be perverted. We just can't afford that. The gospel is at stake. We must not allow for the gospel to be perverted in any way. And we should not put up when the gospel is perverted in any way. Listen, if you ever hear me pervert the gospel in any way, man, you should be on me like white on rice. You should be on me like that. If I ever pervert the gospel, if you ever hear a preacher or anybody not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, you should be saying to them, hey, that's not the gospel. We should clearly then share the gospel of Jesus Christ with sinners. But in, in saying that, we should also prepare for opposition and discouragement. Because why? Because not everywhere Paul and Barnabas went, they all didn't, the governor wasn't always like, hmm, this is very good. Let's, let's think about this. Let's talk about this. Sometimes they were beaten. Sometimes they were jailed. Sometimes they were, they were, they were flogged. Sometimes they, they had all kinds of horrible things. Paul almost died several times right, because of, his, because of the gospel. And very few times did it end quite like this. More often than not, it didn't. And so we should be prepared for opposition to the gospel. Listen, we should be prepared to be called bigots and, 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 and ignorant and foolish and, and, and even racist because we, we say that all men must repent and believe the gospel. We must call sinners to repent and believe the gospel. And we must be prepared to pay the price because what was the price? Well, in verse 13, it tells us there was, a, there was a little bit of a price. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. There are going to be times when even Christians don't quite understand what's going on. There are going to be times when even believers, like John Mark, 
He sees this, and I don't know exactly what happened here, but apparently it sincerely disturbed him. It sincerely, this whole encounter with all of this sincerely disturbed John Mark. This encountering the demonic and the demonic realm and all this other stuff going on and the gospel being going out into um, to, to f- the frontier regions. It sincerely disturbed him so much so that John Mark turned back and Paul became angry. And this is the point of contention that ends up happening between Paul and Barnabas and leads to their, to their, dis- to their, to their separating of ways. Because Barnabas says, let's give John Mark another chance. He was scared. He was young. Paul says, no, absolutely not. He abandoned us. We're not taking him again. They end up splitting off. But thankfully, later on, John Mark does seem to become a, a, a friend to the mission of, of, of the gospel again. And it's very useful in this. So there are going to be times, and my point is, there are going to be times when we need to be prepared for, for you and I, that, that you and I as believers need to be prepared to pay the price from our family and our friends, our co-workers. They're not going to always understand why we take the stands that we do and why we believe the things that we believe. So, so let me ask you this. Let me, let me sort of close this out like this, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll be end. We'll end. Brothers and sisters, are, are you and I simply waiting for extraction from this life? Are we just waiting? Just wait until Jesus comes? Is that what we're doing? Are we, just, are we, are we popping smoke, waiting on, the, waiting on the helicopter to come get us, waiting, waiting to be extracted from the, from the war zone, right, that is this world, that is this life? Is that what we're doing? Because that's not what we're called to do. It was interesting that I, years ago I ran across a Far Side cartoon that had two deers that were talking. And one of the deer had a birthmark that looked, looked like a target on his chest. And uh, the other deer says, man, that's a bummer of a birthmark. And he starts laughing, right? Well, in reality, spiritual warfare is a lot like that. Preaching the gospel is a lot like this. Standing for Christ is often like this. We have a painted target on our chest. Because the enemy wants nothing for nothing more than for us to cower in fear and not preach the gospel. But brothers and sisters, as Christians, as those who are followers of the way, followers of Christ, we have been given the victory of God, the armor of light, the armor of God, the armor of a transformed mind, the armor of faith, the armor of righteousness, the armor of truth, the armor of the word of God, the armor of the gospel, the armor of prayer, Right? We've been given these things. We've been given the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Imagine what you and I can do if we choose not to retreat from the world, but instead engage the world with the gospel. Imagine what God can do, do through us and use us for if instead of cowering to the difficulty, we stand in faith and in the courage of Christ that comes only through the Holy Spirit. If we refuse to quit when life becomes difficult and we decide to take up the armor of God and advance against the gates of hell and move forward in the victory and the power of God in Christ through the given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. After all, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and I'll close with this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abandoning in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let us move forward in the victory of Christ and the power of God. Let's pray. Father, help us as we support missions and missionaries around the world. Help us to also, while we are here, placed here, we have been sovereignly placed here by your good hand in this community. God, you have placed us right here for this moment that we may be faithful to preach Jesus. God, while other churches may be already preaching Jesus uh, and being faithful in doing that, God, you have also called us to do that. 
And I thank you for the gospel witness that has gone forth from, our, from us historically. And I pray that that gospel witness would continue. That we would each be faithful to preach Jesus and proclaim Christ and to honor Christ in the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So help us, guide us, direct us, Lord, we pray. And empower us through your Holy Spirit now as we sing and respond to your word in Christ's name. Amen.